page 1497, if you're using the Bible in the, the pew. Matthew's account of the visit of the Magi, or the wise men. Wonderful story, rich in gospel truth for us. God's inerrant and infallible word is given to us for our good. Let us give our attention to its reading, Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Amen. This is a a well-known account. This is a well-known part of what we call the Christmas story. It's interesting to to think about what it is that that Matthew is doing, doing really a a number of things. The the first is he's he's showing, as he often is doing in his gospel, he's showing the fulfillment of prophecy. And he's, he's making an incontrovertible case that Jesus is the Christ, the one whom the Old Testament has prophesied to come. And, of course, in the course of, of, of Jesus' life and ministry, this was something that people were confused about. They said, well, Jesus has come from, from Nazareth. And, you, for instance, you read in, in the Gospel of John, um, Philip is telling Nathaniel about Jesus and knows that, that this Jesus is from Nazareth. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip says to him, come and, and see In John chapter 7, there's this dispute saying that Jesus can't be the Christ because he's from from Galilee. That the Messiah is to be the offspring of David and to come from from Bethlehem. And so Jesus deals with this uh, later on in his life, in his ministry. Matthew is making the claim, this this apologetic case for Christ, uh, for Jesus being the Christ. 
Moreover, in, in this story, Matthew is, is giving uh, an, an explanatory case of the mysteries of God. He is showing us this, this wonderful glimpse of, of the gospel of grace, particularly as he looks forward to, and Matthew is, is writing in the time of the New Testament church, looking back to Christ, and gives us this, this wonderful glimpse of what it is that the proclamation of Jesus of Nazareth, of the Christ, will do as it goes out from Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria and even to the very ends of the earth. I want to think about that just for a few moments tonight, that this account of the Magi is really a glimpse of the gospel of grace. The word that uh, we see in in verse 1, it it highlights that uh, this is not uh, a a typical kind of story that you see in Scripture. We're dealing with a a group of people that are are rarely mentioned in the Bible. The Magi, we are told that they are from the East. It's interesting because in, for instance, in the Gospel of Luke and, and in Luke's two volume work, Luke and Acts, the general movement of gospel ministry is to the West. It's uh, to the West, into the, into the larger parts of Europe and into the, the Roman Empire, for instance. Now, here in, in the Gospel of Matthew, we see this, this peering into the East, the other direction. This is where these Magi are from. Magi are often mentioned in the the book of of Daniel, and uh, Daniel, in a sense, was uh, among this this class as God's people were in exile. There were uh, these men who would have been basically scholars, various kinds of, of research, studying deep questions, studying the meaning of life. A lot of the things that they did, though, were highly spiritual and and even magical. We see in the word magi. It's not always good to make these connections, but we see our own English word magic coming from uh, this root word here. And and of course, we see there that uh, these magi would have been, you could have called them at times soothsayers or even conjurers. They were astrologers and astronomers, of course, studying uh, the greater questions on the meaning of life. And this is why we've, we've come to call them wise men. They were engaged in philosophy and in spirituality. But doing so outside the context of God's people, of course, they're coming from the East, this mysterious group uh, that comes to find Jesus. They, they come looking for Jesus. They go to Jerusalem asking, where is this one who is to be born king of the Jews. In some sense, we, we can say that in their field of study, they have come across prophecies from the Old Testament. And uh, probably the place that, that they, they, were, they had in mind on their journey or on their search comes from the book of Numbers and the story of Balaam. Balaam is a, an Old Testament figure, not himself of the Jewish people, but he was somewhat a, a, a magus or of the class of the Magi. He's hired by a, a king to, to bring down a curse on the people of Israel, uh, an, an enemy king, Balak. And he is hired by this king to, to curse the people of Israel, but uh, in, in the course of that account, he does not curse Israel, rather he blesses it. And he sees uh, how good it is to be found in the favor of this God 
of Israel. Now the points of connection between Balaam and Numbers and Matthew chapter 2 are, are myriad. Uh, one of the interesting connections is that in both stories, there, there is a king who is trying to, to use these conjurers or these magi in order to spoil the plans of the Almighty God. Uh, the irony, of course, is that in the Gospel of Matthew, you have the Jewish king, Herod, who's wanting to, to, to use these magi in order to, to spoil the plans of God. Of course, he doesn't know that that's what he is doing, but he's doing it out of a lust for power that he wants to remain in his position. He doesn't want someone to come and uh, end his rule as king. In a way, that reminds us of Psalm 2, doesn't it, that we considered uh, today. The God in the heavens laughs at those who, uh, at those who oppose him. The upshot of this uh, whole story, though, is that as Balaam is speaking the prophecies of God, he, he speaks of a star. And so we read in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, Balaam's prophecy includes this. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush, crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. In some way, then, these magi, these wise men, have studied uh, this prophecy and, and other parts of the Old Testament to say that the coming of the king of the Jews will be accompanied by signs. It will be accompanied by this star. Now, we're not exactly sure what this star was. Probably, we can say, it could have been some kind of comet or something like that. It's, it's moving. It is not uh, static. It comes to rest over the place where Jesus is in verse 9. What we do know is that this is an extraordinary providence of God. That he has caused these wise men to see this star and that it... It brings them to Jerusalem. And the people of Israel are obviously startled and troubled by this. That How is it that, that these are the men coming to tell us that this event is actually happening? That the king of the Jews has been born. And this way we're seeing that one of the, the first things about that, the glimpse of the gospel. And not only are, are people coming from afar, but we're seeing the weaving together of, of uh God's working in his providence, in his creation, that which we will call, that which uh, scholars call general revelation, that God is working, that God's truth is manifest in this world. But what God does in providence, in general revelation, if someone sees that the, the beauty of a mountain, there is truth about God in beholding that beauty. But it is not a sufficient truth to lead them to the knowledge of the Savior. And so the Magi then uh, see this sign, this great providence, but it also needs to be coupled with truth from Scripture. Numbers 24 and also Micah chapter 5. As they get to Jerusalem, the teachers of the law tell Herod and they tell these wise men that the, the son of David, the king of the Jews, is going to be born in Bethlehem. And uh, Matthew has given us all of these things to, to show us a couple of really important truths. The first is that Jesus is the son of David. That's one of the things that we learn from the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. He is the son of David. Also that he is the son of Abraham. 
And in being the son of Abraham, he's fulfilling that, that prophecy, that promise that was given to Abraham. That through him, through the seed of Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that's one of the things that we see as these wise men from the east come. And they find the Christ. And they worship him. Matthew chapter 8 says, Many will come from east and west. They will recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The Gospel of Matthew, is, it, it hits on this theme over and over and over again. That One of the things that is going on is it, Matthew rebukes the presumed religious standing of the religious leaders of Israel. They're sort of falling back on their static forms of, of temple adherence. One of the things that the Gospel of Matthew does is it says it, to be joined in fellowship with God is to be in a vital communion with him in the covenant of grace. It's a rebuke of the religious leaders. It is a calling into this vital communion with, with this God who uh, gives a, a wondrous grace that goes out to the ends of the earth. These Gentile wise men come looking for Jesus. They get answers from this star. They get answers from the word of God. Ultimately, that is where their answers come from, the word of God. They come looking for Jesus, and we see this glimpse of the gospel. Then we see the second part, the second glimpse of the gospel. They, they fall down and they worship Jesus. They make a careful search. We read that the star comes to rest right over the place where uh, Jesus is with Mary and Joseph. We don't know exactly how old he is, perhaps weeks, perhaps months, perhaps even a year, perhaps even more than that. Uh, thankfully, uh, Joseph knows that uh, it wouldn't have been a good idea to, to saddle up the donkey the next day after Jesus was born and, and head back home. So they're living in a house now. And they come to this house, these wise men, they rejoice exceedingly with, with great joy. They enter the house, they, they bow down and they worship Jesus. We do not know, that the text does not tell us if this was their plan all along. Were they planning to go and to, to bow down to this king? What were they thinking that they would find? Were they shocked by the, the, the humble house that Mary and Joseph were living in? Probably. But they're showing, once again, this glimpse of the gospel. Really, you could call it a, a twofold reaction to the truth of God and the truth of Christ. First, they had to believe that what was written about Jesus was true. Micah chapter 5. And everyone who believes in Christ, everyone who, who experiences salvation with him and communion with God in the covenant of grace has to believe what the word of God says about Jesus. It has to believe that God's word is true. But there is a, a second step and that is what we see when they come to the place where Jesus is. They they worship the living Christ. They pay homage to him. I'm not sure if you've ever heard this complaint lodged against the, the Christian faith, but I've heard it said many times. People say, well, it's not fair. It doesn't make sense. It's not a sensible thing that you can say. Uh, people just believe in Jesus. They just say that they believe, and, and then they have salvation no matter what they do from there on out. They can just claim that they believe it, and then everything is fine. Here we see how 
vital life in Christ and communion with Christ and worship of the Lord is the absolute foundation of the Christian faith. It is Christ who saves. It is Christ who saves by his grace and by his work. We are saved through faith. We are saved not through our works. It is Christ's work that saves. But when the reality of the living Christ comes and invades a dead and sinful heart, that heart is brought to a place where it will worship Christ, where it will bend the knee. And nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me Savior, or I die. This heart of a, of a worshiping believer. Matthew is giving us this, this glimpse into what it will mean as the gospel goes forth uh, to the nations. Perhaps this story seems unlikely. And it is. Uh, Gentile conjurers, Gentile soothsayers, astrologers, and astronomers coming to worship the king of the Jews. Magicians have a a prominent place, as I said, in Daniel and also in Exodus. And in both of those books, they they oppose God and they are incompetent. Sort of this, this category that we don't really... We read them and we think they're, they're foolish. What are they doing trying to oppose God with their magic, with their dark arts? But here, what are they doing? They're, they're bowing down. You see this wonderful reversal of what we have seen thus far in Scripture. They're worshiping the God-man. They're not opposing God. They're worshiping the Son of God, the Christ. It's unlikely. But it makes us think, or it should make us think, that most people would have said if looking at most of our ancestors 1,500 years ago, that our being Christians would be unlikely. And many of our ancestors, you could have said, we would throw them in the class of barbarians, and particularly uh, my ancestors, uh, Scandinavian types. Only an electing God could save such people. Only an electing and a sovereign God. Only a sovereign God who elects could have saved my ancestors, who spent most of their time going around taking things that did not belong to them and returning home celebrating that fact. Only God could ever save someone who was raised to believe all their life that to to fly a plane into a building and to kill innocent people for a holy war is good. I was talking with uh, Reverend Madney this past week. He told me that When he took the charge at uh, Back to God Ministries, he said that he never would have taken the job being a minister to Muslims unless he believed in election, unless he believed that our God is a God who saves in ways that to human beings seem unlikely. Now he can furnish you with stories all day long about how people have listened to his broadcasts in Arabic. They have, uh, these broadcasts are still going out over the internet airwaves. People who have saved these recordings and are now streaming them online. And there are people from uh, the Muslim religion that are still coming to Christ through his ministry, bending the knee, worshiping Christ, not just as a prophet, but as Lord, as the God-man, as the King of kings, not in the midst of their mosque, but in the church of Jesus Christ, leaving the mosque and getting baptized and joining the church. For to come to Christ means that you come to the church, you join yourself to the bride 
of Christ in all of her splendor and even in all of her imperfection. You cannot know Christ and reject his bride. And so we give thanks that as we can look back into our ancient family history, perhaps most people would have said, no way, never will they believe in Jesus. But God is greater than our history. God is greater than our sin. And he saves us in ways that we never could imagine. That's the glimpse that we're getting. At least one of the things that Matthew is doing with this story. The wise men. They, they look for Jesus and they need scripture along with God's providence. They worship him. They bow down. They bend the knee. They do what all do when they know and they encounter the living Christ. And then they give gifts They give gifts to him, gold and and frankincense and myrrh. Psalm 72 says, May all the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May all kings bow down before him. All nations serve him. We're seeing a glimpse of what will happen on the last day. That all will worship the king. Isaiah chapter 60. Nations shall come to your light and the kings and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see they all gather together. They come to you. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news. The praises of the Lord. These are gifts that are are fit for a king. And we ourselves don't have much Uh, that we can give to the King of Kings. But he does call us to to give our our very lives, to give our our bodies and our minds and our souls to this God. Love so amazing, so divine, demands uh, my life, my soul, my all. The the wise men are giving us this glimpse of what Christ is, is worth. He's worth all that you have, the gifts that are fit for a king. Myrrh is also an interesting Inclusion in, in this myrrh is used for embalming, and there have been various commentators who have suggested that this could be just a glimpse, just a, a glimpse of, of the fact that this king who was born in such humble ways and born in meekness, in this mysterious little account where these magi come from the east, just a glimpse that this king has been born to die. He was born to go to the cross. He was born to make a way for our salvation that we might be cleansed of our sin. That is why the Christ came. He came that he might be the perfect sacrifice for us, that he might live the perfect life and obey the law of God at every turn, perfectly and completely, so that he might be our great high priest, so that he might execute the covenant of grace and become that mediator between God and man, that he might be our king and reign and rule righteously and that we might take comfort in his reign and look to him always. So as we think about these things, think about the sovereign God who brings us to his son out of his electing love. Think about how we can do nothing but bow down before him and worship him. Think about how we can do nothing but give all that we are for what God has done in Christ. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for what you remind us of in your word. We thank you for the gospel, for the story of Jesus and all that you continue to do through him. We pray that you would bless us through him and by the power of your spirit and continue to sanctify us in these good tidings. 
of great joy. I pray in Christ's name, amen. And let us... Uh...